That certain night, the night we met, there was magic abroad in the air. There were angels dining at the Ritz, and a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square. Welcome to Tea Hangs for the Memories. I'm your host, Darren. We're on episode eight. We're talking about every time we say goodbye. Uh, released in late 86, November 14th, 1986. Um, it didn't make a lot of money. I think we could legitimately call this a box office flop. It only had a small budget and it barely made any of that back. Um, and, you know, uh, probably the first real flop of Tom Hanks's career, I would say, at this particular point. Uh, you know, we ask, is Tom getting top billing? He is. In fact, on the opening credits, it, it's Tom Hanks in uh, every time we say goodbye, which is, which is you know, that's the best billing that you can possibly get. Uh, and joining me to talk about this film today, uh, returning from last week, is Andy Nelson. Welcome back, Andy. Back again. Hello. You know, I, I, I came yeah. because it, I needed another chance because every time that we meet, it is just to say goodbye. Yeah. um so i think we should talk a little bit about the background of this film because i think that's probably more interesting than the actual stuff that's on screen but that's you know obviously that's a that's that's an opinion um directed by uh i'm gonna say moshe mitrahi i think is how you're gonna say his name um who was a director who had actually won um an oscar so i think this is tom's first time working with an oscar winner um, a few years before, uh, Madame Rosa won the 1978 uh, Academy Award for Best International Film Feature, uh, which was most recently won by Parasite, which caused some people to get angry on the internet because they didn't think that a film that was winning the Best International Fil- Feature Film Prize should also win the Best Picture. Right. Just, you know, normal. Um, in fact, uh, the last like uh, the last few winners, there's been, you know, some high-profile stuff. Roma, Ida by uh, Powell Pulaski, I think is how you say his name. A separation. The last mm-hmm. and more. You know, the last decade. The last decade has been. Yeah. It's been a the secret in their eyes. You know, it's been it's been a pretty good award to win. Um, so he won in 1978, and I, you know, uh, I, I, looking at his kind of, you know, the films that he did after that. You know, he he did a couple of uh, French films, um, and then you know this was kind of like his big um, Hollywood uh, debut, and also his final. Hollywood film and <laughs> kind of um, <laughs> killed his career kind of almost before it began. Um, he, he himself was, um, you know, uh, Egyptian, um, but then he kind of lived in uh, Israel and Palestine and, you know, around that kind of area. Uh, and I think, you know, obviously that's something that I, you know, is kind of important to this film. You know, it, it's obviously um, shot in and around Jerusalem. Um, right, right. And, yeah. and, and, and um, I think it's interesting, actually. Uh, does it, it's kind of tortuous. I mean, I know that this is something that happened, which is American pilots would sign up to be in the Royal Air Force, um, but it's kind of tortuous how they get there. It's like it's almost like an excuse to have Tom Hanks. It's like if we've got Tom Hanks, why have we got him? Well, and it's well, and it's weirdly, it, it's never fully answered either because they ask, you know, at yeah. one point, it's like why, you know, why did you join the RAF? And and he never really gives an answer. It's just kind of like this. Uh, you know, kind of like this loose thing about how he doesn't get along with his father. His father is a pacifist and all this. and But he never really says, like, well, why didn't you just join the American military? Uh, you know? Yeah, he, he mentions something about how he signed up in Canada. Yeah, right. And then, obviously, they transferred him to the RAF, uh, what with Canada being, you know, under the rule of uh, Queen Elizabeth. Um, yeah. So, you know, I mean, at the time would have been part of the empire, but now obviously is part of the Commonwealth. So it's yeah, it's just kind of I think it's kind of just quickly an excuse to, um, you know, to just, you know, be like we've got an American that's been cast. Um, you know, they have a couple of high profile uh, British actors in there as well. And then yeah. everybody else is basically a bunch of unknowns, um, including the kind of the love interest. Um, you know, but, uh, yeah. So, I mean, that's kind of the background of it. Yeah. And, um, it, you know, I mean, just, I just want to jump on the, just add to that Moshe Mizrahi, uh, bit real quick. Um, okay, because right. I, I actually have seen several of his other films. Um, I, oh, I actually, um, 
we did a series on my podcast where we actually were looking at all of the foreign films that had been nominated for Best Picture. And in 1972 and 1973, there were a couple each year that had been nominated. And in the process of doing my research for it, I ended up watching all of the other films that had also been nominated for those awards. And in this case, these films also had been nominated for Best Foreign Language Film, like Parasite was. And so I ended up watching his films... In 1972, he directed a film called I Love You, Rosa, and in 1973, a film called The House on Shalouche Street. So I've seen those two films, and I will just tell you, I did not like them at all. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I think it's fair to say at this point, I've now seen three of Moshe Mizrahi's films, and I don't like him as a director. I don't like the stories he's telling. Um, and this is my favorite of the three of them, and I still don't really care for it that much. It's, it's uh, you know, I just, there's something about the way he tells these melodramatic love stories that I just find quite tedious. Yeah, so, I mean, clearly this is a, it's a departure for Tom Hanks, you know, up until this point. Um, I mean, I, sh- I think I should tell the viewers at home, I have divided Tom Hanks's career into three sections. Um, this is comedy Hanks we're in at the moment, although from watching this film, I don't think you'd really get that, uh, where he mostly did comedies, you know, Splash, Bachelor Party, Man with One Red Shoe, uh, Volunteers, uh, Money Pit, of course, inventing the genre of the dramedy with the, the last episode, Nothing in Common. Right. And then after this, he goes back to that with Dragnet, Big, Punchline, Burbs, Turner and Hooch. I think like everybody should know these names. Um, and he's basically always kind of playing the goofy kind of comic relief or you know the goofy kind of you know the main kind of um star who's kind of very comedic i mean if you think about like less than a year before this he's in money pit and there's that scene where the bath where he he just falls through the floor (laughs) and he's stuck in the hole and he's just laughing like a sea lion right um and like and you can't imagine that that person is the same person who's here (laughs) like in this film it just it doesn't make any sense um, and I would say that I'll say this as well, like the second half of like the kind of middle of Tom Hanks career, I've designated as drama Hanks, uh, where he kind of gets into those rom-coms, um, kind of starting with, you know, Joe versus the volcano and, and kind of obviously the failure that was at Bonfire of the Vanities. And then he's on a hot streak, you know, probably unmatched by any actor, uh, I would say, since where you go from a league of their own all the way through to like catch me if you can. And it's just um, you know, every film is just amazing one after the other and, and kind of uh, and then and then. I think towards kind of in that period, he discovers this this thing where starting with Apollo 13 and then obviously, you know, Catch Me If You Can is an, an occurrence of this where he can play real life people. And for the last, you know, 15 <laughs> years, half the time, if he's in a film, he's playing a real life person. Like it's if he's not playing Woody and he's not playing uh, the guy in the, the Da Vinci Code films, uh, Robert Langdon, I think it is. Right. Um, then he's playing real people. And it's. Like it's, I don't know what happened. Like there's a point where he seems to have uh, given up on the idea of playing, um, you know, um, completely, you know, made up characters. I think in the last, like literally in the, like in the last kind of, uh, well, since Lady Killers, which was a remake, before that you had Catch Me If You Can, which is based on a real person. If it's not been adapted, you know, from like a previous source or is a sequel, the only original film I think he's done since... Um, I'm trying to think what was before probably Castaway so from since Castaway the only original film he's done is Larry Crown which is insane those are the only two films that he's done that aren't sequels or based on adaptations or based on like real people in the last like almost 20 years and this the circle uh, is adapted from a book oh yes right it is you're right you're right yeah so yeah. yeah so yeah so like he you know th- this this kind of first decade of his career where he's just kind of playing a goof in pretty much every single film it's odd that we kind of then stumble upon this this kind of this box office flop um where tom hanks is playing um an raf pilot which in itself is so odd as we said um and then the film i don't if i was to sum the film up i'd say it is simply he keeps meeting sarah and she keeps saying, I don't want to talk to you. And then he leaves her and then they meet again. And that just keeps <laughs> happening over and over again. Like, um, I don't know. It's it's so weird. And then in the background, you have various different like wartime songs that are being sung, like White Cliffs of Dover or um, or uh, Nightingale sang in Barclays Square. 
not at any point though the title song every time we say goodbye i i was wondering about that and i was just wondering if if perhaps i i I kept thinking you know i i'm get i would like to think that they were wanting to get that song and like have that that singer performing it because she sings uh, as you just said, a nightclub sang in Berkeley Square several times. I was like, I, I wonder if that was supposed to be the song every time we say goodbye, and like they just couldn't get the rights to it or something, so they had to go with like a cheaper or easier to license song. Like that's that's all I could think of because it's like, why wouldn't they if they're going to name it this? It's just I don't know. It was one of those things where it seems like you know they should maybe have tried to get that song in here. I mean, and the thing is, it's been recorded by so many people. Obviously, you know, originate. I mean, it's it's basically a jazz standard. Yeah. Um, at this point, I would have thought actually in, in the in, by 1985 they probably could have got it without any issues in terms of copyrights. But I don't know. I, I you know I don't know what, I don't know what the copyright issues were at that point. But uh, and I don't you know. know I don't know how. I mean, the budget for this, as you said, was pretty small. It could have just been that they they weren't pushing yeah. a lot of their money toward licensing the music. Maybe, yeah. maybe, but I mean, you know, if 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 you have someone singing the songs and all you're after, all you need to get then is um, uh, the publishing rights. Yeah. Generally, those are quite cheap to get. You know, it's a reason why a lot of, a lot of films set in the 1960s have these uh, these covers of Beatles songs rather than anything by the Beatles, because obviously, you know, getting the Beatles costs you like half a million, but just getting the publishing rights and having someone, you know, yeah. do a cover. Like let's say I am Sam, the entire soundtrack of that film is just Beatles <laughs> covers. That's that's a lot cheaper than than getting the originals. But yeah, I don't know. I mean, um, I'll say this. Uh, although I'm, you know, uh, I, I don't want to give judgment yet because I think we need to discuss the film a bit more. But I will say the film felt very, in terms from like like you say, from the point of view of like what the director was doing, it just felt very flat, and. Um, you know, there's a lot of kind of there's a, the scenes that are shot in the dark where it's kind of a bit difficult to to figure out what's going on. Uh, the one thing that I do like is they they they, they open up with this kind of um, this this uh, you know block of text that tells you about um, the Sahardim. I think is how you say that uh, word. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, Sephardic Sephardic yeah. issues. Yeah, and it and it talks about the kind of this language. Uh, the Ladino language yeah. um, that is uh, that's used by the family, um, and you know, so it's it's nice that they've kind of preserved a little bit of that on screen because it's you know it's like a subset of, uh, it's kind of derived from like the the, the kind of Spanish Jews, and so you know it, it it's nice that that's kind of on screen, yeah, and that they've managed to kind of preserve that a little bit, but then they've put, they put it in like one of the world's most boring films. Well, and that's it's something Mizrahi did in some of those previous films that I mentioned. So I'm guessing that yeah. maybe that's just his background, like because I know you mentioned he was born in Egypt, but I'm assuming that he knows this world because those other ones that I was looking at, it was also in this Ladino language, which was almost like a, an odd little, an old Spanish style language. Cause I could, yeah. I could pick up on some of the Spanish, but um, yeah. So it was kind of an interesting language to see. So I'm, I'm assuming he's just creating the world because this is the world, the, the world, the Jewish world that he is familiar with. Yes. Which, you know, makes full sense. Sure, you know, like, yeah. uh, the, uh, and also the fact that by, by kind of putting this language on screen, he's kind of preserving it a little bit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's worth saying that he died uh, 3rd of August, 2018. Right. Um, although he hadn't kind of done anything really high profile since about 2016. Uh, I mean, he was 86 when he died. So, you know, he's still working into his 80s. Um, you know, and, uh, you know, like I say, he won, he won an Oscar. So that, that's nothing to sniff at, you know, like, uh, you know, he, he's... Like that, I guess, I'm guessing that's probably one of the reasons why Tom Hanks was kind of uh, drawn to the project, um, and then probably the other reason he was drawn to it was Christina Marsiliak, who yeah. I will say this is insanely beautiful. Like I can, I mean, part of the film relies on the fact that Tom Hanks keeps seeing this beautiful woman and keeps wanting to get close to her, and every time she's on screen, she, I don't know, she. It's, I can understand why he's constantly drawn to her because she is kind of extremely beautiful. And I think that's kind of, I mean, she, she gives an okay performance, but you know, a lot of the, a lot of what's going on in the film just relies on her just standing there and looking pretty and kind of not really much else um, in terms of like her motivations. There's a lot of, you know, she doesn't want to go out with him because of her family and her religion and this and that, but then she keeps going out with him and, um but yeah i don't know i mean i mean let's kind of just get into what the how the film starts which is with um with 
and this is the first time I think in his career he's going to be called this, David. Obviously, he'll become David in <laughs> other films later on. That's right. Um, David in, in Bradley fact, is in a, last week's also David Basner. Yes. Yeah, David. Yeah, and uh, yeah. So I, I, I guess it's kind of like uh, I don't know. There's some other actors, aren't there, where they they keep being called the same name over and over again, right? Um, <laughs> in various films. So he's he's David Bradley, an uh, an RAF uh, lieutenant who has been downed, and he's in this hospital. Um, and we kind of we kind of start, you know, as the credits are kind of playing over, um, you know, various uh, kind of like I don't know, like pictures of of, of Jerusalem. Um, we we start with it's i mean it tells us tom hanks in every time we say goodbye so he's getting the big this that's the biggest billing you can get is to is to be right, in yeah. something um and he's injured his leg and so he's in jerusalem kind of recovering he uh, he meets up with a friend of his um peter ross uh, which I think is the name of a character from Superman. So, <laughs> so oh. <laughs> um, on Smallville, I think there was a, there was a character that was called Pete Ross, uh, played by Benedict Taylor, who was a British actor. Um, you know, and like we say, they kind of hand wave that he's in the RAF. Um, I think it's just a case of at the time, you know, obviously, if you were a pilot, of you know, there's no commercial flights going, is there? So. Uh, if you were a pilot and you and you signed up, I think you know certain you know as the war progressed, um, you know uh, people were kind of posted all over the place, and so you know obviously he's he's kind of with uh, the RAF, um, and he, you know he moves into this apartment. Uh, you know there's some discussion about whether or not it's nice, and then we find out that Pete uh, is going out with a woman called Victoria, um, and he is planning on I think at this point is he planning on getting married to her like in a, a week's time or something? Yeah. Um, it's kind of how he announced it, like, you know, at the very beginning. Um, and so, you know, we, we know that that's going to happen at some point in the film. Um, and from that, we find out that basically Victoria and Pete should not be meeting each other uh, due to her kind of strict family. And but they keep kind of meeting and using uh, Sarah as their uh, as their like cover. Um, so she kind of, you know, if anybody asks, you know, uh, Victoria is out with Sarah. She's not seeing Pete. Yeah. Um, and it's just worth saying that uh, Benedict Taylor, who plays uh, Pete, um, he he's he's been in you know he's been in quite a bit. Uh, you know he started out as a child actor in the in the sixties. Um, he was in a number of films. Um, you know, kind of th- throughout the seventies um, and early eighties. You know, before this. Um, and then you know he was even in um, <laughs> in the Phantom Menace um, and Notes on a Scandal. Um, you know, like so he's he, and he's done a, quite a lot of uh, British TV over here. Um, and he was, I mean, where I knew him from um, was this sitcom that he did for ITV uh, in the in the kind of mid nineties called The Ten Percenters, uh, which I only saw a couple of episodes of because it wasn't really that funny. Um, uh, and it was created by the the people who created Red Dwarf, which I'm sure any any kind of Anglophiles will know, uh, is one of the longest running sitcoms uh, in like BBC history. It's been going for I don't know twenty three years at this point. No, thirty three years at this point. Yeah. So um, and still new series are coming out all the time. But th- this sitcom which he was in called the Ten Percenters, which was about some kind of British theatre agents. Um, and it was so stressful for um, Rob Grant and Doug Naylor to, you know, write the show uh, that basically when it finished, they they stopped talking to each other and they haven't they haven't kind of communicated with each other Jeez. since. Uh, and so yeah, it's, it's so it's it's kind of weird that this guy was kind of like on that sitcom which briefly existed um, and basically broke up the creators of Red Dwarf. Um, and so, you know, in the in the 30 years since they haven't really talked, it, it basically led to, I think, Rob Grant took over as like the sole creator of Red Dwarf. Um, no, sorry, the other guy, uh, Doug Naylor took over as a sole creator and Rob Grant kind of just, you know, stopped communicating. Um, and he's he's kind of produced a few things by himself since. But, uh, you know, nothing obviously as successful as Red Dwarf. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's kind of crazy that seeing this guy like really kind of young, uh, right, because right. these days he's he's kind of more um, the, the kind of appearances he's making he's he's more of a kind of like a you know a, kind of like a mobster or a heavy that kind of that kind of role. Um, so it's it's kind of interesting to see him here as kind of like a young handsome, you know, airman. 
Um, and he's still, perf- but, I mean, uh, like, yeah, he's still very busy. I mean, it's all, it's all TV work. Like, he hardly does movies other than, like, some of the, yeah. those bigger ones that you mentioned. Although I, I did want to point out that uh, before this, back in 1980, he was apparently in The Watcher in the Woods, which I totally loved that as a kid. That was... Uh, uh, a, a kind of a kids, kind of a creepy kids movie with Betty Davis was in it. Um, okay. I haven't seen it in ages. I don't know how well it actually holds up, but as a kid, <laughs> I loved it. Uh, you know, because it's there are some kids and they think that the, there's a ghost and all this sort of stuff, and um, really kind of fun, creepy movie. But yeah, he's in that one, so I, I yeah, I'm so tempted to check it out again. And I, th- I think as well, he does a he, he does a fairly and also the the actress who plays uh, Victoria. Uh, Annette Asmund, I think is how you say her name. Yeah. Um, you know, they, I th- yeah, I think they both do quite a good job um, in terms of, I mean, you know, obviously they're only kind of like the side characters, uh, but I, I think they they seem, to, I don't know, I, I, I think I actually kind of like their characters a bit more than the, the main characters <laughs> uh, because they, see, they seem to have kind of like a genuine connection and obviously, you know, he's getting married to kind of, you know, get close to her and, you know, kind of, you know it's a big step and everything and uh, you know later on in the film he says that you know he, he's willing to con- kind of convert to, to Judaism so they can stay together and uh, you know that, so it, it feels like their kind of their kind of love is kind of more substantial yeah and I mean, obviously they've been together longer but yeah there's something yeah there's some, and also I just feel like their relationship is there's something about the relationship that has some sense of um grasp of the realities as far as you know when they when they end up deciding to get a divorce and all that sort of stuff so i'm like okay you know i, I they're they're interesting enough characters yeah uh whereas with with kind of david and sarah you know like they meet at this um it's like an outdoor cafe uh, place yeah yeah where, yeah and yeah. there's a there's a there's a singer singing uh white cliffs of dover which is a song that i've come to hate <laughs> over the course of my life because it's like oh you know i get it yeah um but uh, yeah so you know and while they're kind of sitting at a table they're kind of they're kind of not making a bit of small talk and then uh this guy kind of comes over and and says you know can he can like have a dance the gruff and, australian which seems like such a <laughs> such a trope let's oh it's he's drunk he must be australian <laughs> yeah um well you know they are a nation That's... <laughs> um so but yeah so he like this guy comes over he's extremely kind of like rude basically and when when like when asking he like he asks david can he have a dance with sarah and and david being a you know a modern man as he is he's like well it's up to her like you know he's not he's not with this this girl so it's like you know you'll have to ask her directly yeah and so he kind of does and she she kind of gets up it seems a little reluctantly um and then you know obviously he gets a bit rough with her on the dance floor and then um, you know, when she when she kind of finally gets out of his clutches, uh, you know, she kind of comes and sits back over with David, and and then they kind of get into an argument, which is something uh, they, they 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 do kind of almost every single scene. Um, yeah, yeah, it's 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 one of those things where it's. I mean, I guess you know he didn't really say it, but it's because of his leg, because he's got a, a this bad leg. Yeah, or as the yeah. or as the Monty Python boys would say, I've got this gammy leg. Right. And so, <laughs> so he can't really quite dance. And so, um, but yeah, it's, it's an interesting, I suppose, setup for their relationship. I, I want to bring up a couple points real quick that, um, that I think it. that I think are worth bringing up now because they're certainly going to come into play as we continue. First of all, Tom Hanks up to this point, and you have him categorized as at this point in his career, the comedy Tom Hanks. There are comedy moments, like very light comedy moments of Hanks in this film. And every time they come up, I can't help but wonder, is this the right film for this? It just feels odd. Like the the first one is like right in the first scene when he's talking to the nurse who comes to check on him. And he does this like little little dance move and stuff that's kind of silly, acting like he's okay, only to say, oh, his leg still hurts, blah, blah, blah. But just like those moments of levity from Hanks and I'm not saying you can't have moments of levity in a dramatic film but coming from him they do feel off-putting and and I think you know there will be a few more of those as we go through the film um the second thing that I wanted to bring up is um before this point where with Sarah we did meet her back at the bank where she's working and she's uh, like I don't, yeah. I don't know if she works under her cousin but somehow he's like I guess her superior he works in a little office um, but it's, it's, you know, in her conversation with Victoria, it kind of start, we start learning that 
her cousin uh, Nassim kind of is in love with her and wants to marry her, and and that seems to be a big driving point because we're gonna we're going to um, see them here in just a moment. Yeah, I mean, I didn't bring up Nassim before this point because I feel like you know uh, he I think he comes to 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 this same place where she is, and um, they kind of run into him, and and then uh, he gets mugged. I think is that what I. I think that's what happens, isn't it? And then he, and then David kind of like saves him. Yeah, the uh, or she's getting. Yeah, the I think the Australian comes up and, and he's attacking yeah, her, kind of, yeah. and he comes up and and uh, or, or Nassim gets, gets punched, hit, and then yeah. and then yeah, David comes up and hits him with his walking stick, um, putting yeah. putting the Australian yes, out breaks, and breaking breaks, his stick. Yeah, yeah, breaks his stick, and and so um, yeah, so the whole Nassim of it. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I guess there's obviously cultural considerations, but he's her cousin. He's 10 years older than her. And he says at one point, you know, when discussing it with David, that he's been in love with her since like the day she was born. Yeah, right. And I'm like, oh, this is this is like extremely uncomfortable discussion. Yeah. I, I like that's just I mean, as a 10 year old looking at a baby, I, d I, know. I don't think you should be. Let me, it's just let me just tell you, I, one of the reasons that yeah. I'm not a fan of Mizrahi's other films, the first one is about this 12 year old kid. And it's supposedly it's based on it's a, a biographical film about his grandmother and how she met her husband. It's a story yeah. about this 12 year old boy who is forced to marry his um, his brother's widow when his brother dies because apparently that was the law yeah. at the time. And so it's this story about this 12-year-old who, like, everybody is like, hey, you're going to get married, and they're all, like, nudging him. And I'm like, this is, like, all of a sudden feeling like this creepy <laughs> child porn movie. Like, it was totally off-putting. I really didn't like it at all. Um, the other film wasn't yeah. quite so gross, although it was about a 15-year-old being the man of the house because they're the dad's gone and and there is also he hooks up with a 25 year old and it just is like is this is weird Mizrahi thing and and when Nassim is talking I'm like I just like there's something about the way that Mizrahi kind of pushes these relationships into this place where people are falling in love like far below they should I'm just like yeah yeah kind of gross yeah, and I think I think uh, I mean you know uh, the whole when he says that he you know fell in love with her when she was born and all this kind of stuff I'm like okay right you know um, I mean kind of the marrying your brother's widow is is like biblical law so I could kind of understand why that would be in a film and you know that would I mean you know that would be a jumping off point for some kind of interest in drama or whatever um, so that kind of makes sense but just kind of going on about how much he's in love with his like cousin who's like ten years old first yeah. his cousin. Second, 10 years younger than him. <laughs> now, here's the thing. It's established in the film as well that Sarah is 18. Um, and the, the funny thing is, at the time, Tom Hanks was 30. Um, so that's a bigger age gap than, <laughs> than between Nassim. And I think actually the actor who plays Nassim, is, uh, which is Moni uh, Mashunov, I think he's actually a little bit older than that as well. So, um, you know, the kind of her two kind of love interests in inverted commas are both you know, substantially older than her. Yeah. Um, yeah. On, on screen, at least. Yeah. Right. Um, certainly. But I mean, the, Monty is actually five years older than Tom Hanks. So, so he's definitely like the, the oldest of this trio here. Yeah. So when he's trying to convince me that he's only twenty eight, I'm not. I'm not fully convinced. <laughs> Let's put it like that. when he when he said he's ten years older than I was like that doesn't. He seems old enough to be a father. Like yeah. Right. Um, right. I don't know. It just. Um, yeah. So they, you know they run into him and then he gets an, an invite to you know to Shabbat. Um, and, and, you know, I, I kind of like how they're like, oh, you should come over for dinner. And he's like, oh, how about one of the Sabbaths? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, which I, I, again, they, they kind of, it, that's the start of them kind of establishing like how much of a Gentile he is in this, you know, within this kind of like uh, Jewish setting is by having him just refer to, you know, like one of the Sabbaths. And then obviously, um, you know, Nassim has to say that's Fridays <laughs> like to kind of you know, make it clear when it is and, and yeah. just kind of, you know, so, I mean, I, I think the stuff with Nassim, when it's, when he's not talking about how much he's in love with his cousin, um, I do think his, his performance is, is quite playful. Um, yeah, it is. And, you know, and, and kind of fun. And when we do actually get, I mean, probably my favorite scene in the film is the whole uh, Shabbat dinner when they're, they're kind of doing all the, you know, the different ceremony and, um, you know, and kind of, uh, asking him questions and kind of probing him a little bit and kind of ha having fun at his expense just to, you know, in terms of like asking him 
questions but then you know when they get translated they're not translated correctly you know obviously they're kind of there's little in jokes and stuff between the family and you know like they're just kind of playing with him and, ha- and having a bit of fun and, and then, i thought that was quite a fun and then grandma fun apparently is a tea tea leaf reader or something because yeah. she, she does this yeah. whole thing where she kind of gives this uh you know reading of david saying that you know he's a good man and that he's going to have a good life and nothing bad will happen to him stuff like that so it was kind of an yeah. odd little moment to have also thrown in there. Yeah, which uh, which is weird because, of course, obviously, you know, it's 1942. We're kind of in the middle of World War Two, and he's already been shot down and injured his leg. So when she says nothing bad will happen to him, are we are we starting that from today? Uh, uh, yeah, you know, I, like it... right. I assume so. I'm like, I guess this is coming forward now. <laughs> Yeah, we drawing a line under him, you know, being in a, a plane crash already and injuring himself, you know, like, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, yeah, but I kind of, I kind of liked, you know, this kind of big family and this kind of celebration. And, you know, later on, when when David kind of talks to Sarah as he's leaving, um, you know, she kind of she kind of points out, you know, like, because he's like, is it like this every Friday? And she's like, you know, obviously on high, high holy days, there's even more people, you know, like there's yeah. grand, you know, grandparents come in and cousins and brothers and sisters and you know like every, you know there's even more people um and i you know i that that's one of the things about this that's kind of uh you know it's a nice it's a nice thing and also it's kind of a setup for you know what will happen i don't know like an hour later in the film like this the kind of the family being very protective of sarah with her being like you know the kind of the youngest daughter in the family and stuff um you know and they they even mention uh, uh one of the cousins or, or brothers says that he boxes um, you know, see, that's something we'll see later on. And then, you know, again, that's like a setup for, for how protective the family is. Um, so, you know, it's, it's I mean, I think it's it's always interesting because, uh, you know, uh, there's a fine line between, you know, uh, an interesting kind of dramatic scene and something just being a lot of kind of like setup and an exposition. And I think they handle it quite nicely, you know, and also, you know, they kind of to be honest with you, you know, there's, even though this is set in 1942, you don't really feel like, you know, that there's a war on apart from people wearing uniforms and stuff. So there is a bit of discussion about, um, you know, does he know like uh, Churchill and what do they think about uh, Rommel? And, you know, like, yeah. so there is a kind of a, an attempt to kind of keep the war in the forefront. But after that, pre- pretty much like until until kind of the last like five, ten minutes, there's very rarely any mention of. of well, he does go off as, in the in the last third, like he'll actually fly off yeah. at the beginning of Act Three. And then you see him in a plane, you know, he's actually piloting, says someone died and stuff like that. So there's there are those moments, but it's definitely the bulk of the actual anything is is toward the end of Act Three. And it's uh, yeah. it's just yeah. There's not a whole lot of it other than like you said the uniforms throughout, which I guess is just and, meant to say, it, it just part of the established thing here that these people are here. Kind of I, I I guess they're stationed here in between going back and forth from the desert to Battle Rommel, um, yeah. it, but obviously a number of them are here because they have been injured and they're waiting for um, they're getting healed up so that they can head back like david yeah and i think obviously the inclusion of the um you know the australian yeah you know it suggests that obviously the war has escalated already and that there is already right, right, right. you know it's it's not just you know uh, in europe anymore it's it's starting to kind of encompass the globe yeah um yeah because i know, think so it's september it, is it, it's september 1942 when it starts i believe right yes yeah, so yeah. yeah that's when they open in fact I've, i always find it funny when um you know, they could have just said 1942 and we would have kind of picked up on it. But I like the fact that they said September, but they don't give a date. So it's just, it's a September 1942, you know. Well, and I was just, <laughs> and that was a question though, because I'm like, well, why September? Like, I mean, is it just saying, okay, because the US got involved at the end of 41. Um, so is it just, is it say, is it a little farther out than that, like you said? Because obviously now we're seeing soldiers from a few different countries here at this particular place. So I, I wasn't sure how necessary it was, but maybe just a little better kind of sense as to how much deeper everybody around the world is in at this particular point in time. Yeah. yeah. Um, and we get to the, the kind of, I mean, I don't want to go through it too quickly, but I also don't want to um, dwell. Uh, but the kind of the bulk of the film is Sarah saying that she doesn't want to be with David and she doesn't want to go out, um, you know, which happens, I think, kind of, uh, you know, he, he comes over with some flowers. He gives them to the grandma. 
you know, in return for her mm-hmm. predicting whatever. And then, you know, he says, can I ask your daughter out to the mother? And the mother's like, ask her out, you know, and, and he says, do you want to go out, Sarah? And she's like, no. Yeah, right. <laughs> <It's> like, okay. <laughs> and then she kind of goes out after him and then he's like, do you want to go out? And she's like, no. And then they end up going out anyway, um, you know, and they meet up at the wedding and then, you know, she kind of takes him for a little bit of a tour, you know, shows him the Tomb of David. That was an she, odd. I, I, that Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I just had a, I had well, something to say about that point. Oh, yeah, well, I think the Tomb of David thing's funny because she's like, oh, there's the Tomb of David. Do you want to see it? And he's like, nah, not really. <laughs> well, that's that's what was so odd. And, and I, yeah. I couldn't help but realize or think about as I was watching it this time, like, are they deliberately making David seem like he's completely disinterested in this part of the world? Because there are some moments like that, other than like the landscape, he seems to be like, he's always like, what a beautiful landscape. Like this area is so pretty. But when it comes time to like historical things like that or... Or things that just seem a little bit more part of the actual town and stuff. He just doesn't seem interested. And I and it's an interesting character, I suppose you could say, for early Tom Hanks because he seems a little bit more gruff. He seems a little bit more like the the womanizer, you know, kind of the woman chaser. The way that they paint him at the beginning, and then there are these moments like this, and I'm like, are they just trying to make him seem like he's the gruff, disinterested Gentile? Like, is that is that what we're meant to read from that? Because it was such a weird line to say right there. I'm like, huh, okay, he doesn't want to see it. I don't know what that's supposed to be. Yeah, and then and then they kind of, um, you know, uh, she kind of explicitly says that she doesn't want to be with him. She doesn't want to be together with him. Like you said, you know, earlier in the film, they're in. He's he's kind of like in the locker room with uh, with Peter, and and he says to him, you know, you don't have to marry a girl just so you can have sex with her. Like you can, so, <laughs> you know, he's kind of advocating for one night stands, um, you know, and the kind of there's there's a kind of weird moment where um, David is like teaching Peter how to like throw a baseball, um, and again, Tom Hanks I- does that kind of thing where he's like doing the wind up and he's kind of doing it's, like a little dance type it's thing. again another weird little yeah. beat of of that light hanks comedy that just is kind of odd in this film yeah um and then you know when when kind of you know victoria arrives and we get a, we get a really weird kind of jump cut to like a, a boxing match yeah. <laughs> out of nowhere like we're suddenly we're at a boxing match um, and then, you know, after the boxing match, you know, David and Sarah find themselves together again. And this is where we get the first rendition, I think, of a nightingale sang in Barclay Square. Um, and then they kind of kiss and he, he kind of goes to walk at home. And then the next day they go out for a drive. Um, oh, you, and, and you know, with you didn't mention that after the boxing match, that's where you have the moment where her brother sees her looking at, at David and there's this oh, connection. Yeah. And so he follows them. Yes, yeah. So that that and that's how they, you know, they find. I think it was the brother who was boxing. I think as well, isn't it? Um, no, it wasn't the brother who was just, boxing. It no. was it was the one who was because um, he it was the one who was watching with uh, Nassim. He's the one who follows. Yeah. Because to be honest, there's a lot of brothers. There are um, a lot of brothers, and only one yeah, of them seems think... to care about her. <laughs> yeah. Um, and so, you know, obviously then after that, um, you know, uh, they, they get back from, they get, they kind of go for a drive, they go for a swim, um, you know, they're getting dressed, uh, kind of on these rocks that have got, got like a divider, which is, uh, you know, an interesting scene. Um, and that's where she kind of talks about, um, you know, characters in the Bible and he kind of, obviously his father is a, we, I don't think we even mentioned this, but his father is a minister. Yeah. Right. Right. And, you know, uh, one of the reasons why I think his father is, you know, a pacifist and that's probably, you know, he kind of gives that as a reason as to why he joined up. Um, but that's also why he kind of has a, a knowledge of the Bible and everything and kind of, you know, he knows he, everything religious that, you know, she is talking about, he, he already knows. Yeah. Like this yeah. isn't, this isn't anything new for him. Um, you know, and there's kind of a bit of talk about, you know, God, um and then she you know she kind of immediately after after finding out that basically he doesn't really care about god um she's like <laughs> you know i can't go home like this i'm gonna have to kind of you know get cleaned up so they kind of go back to to his and she you know she has a bath i like as well how he frames it that like you know you, you know you can come back to mine you can you can you know you you can have a bath and, and he says and i won't i won't even disturb you you know like you can have the privacy yeah and i you know i thought it was like a nice touch it's like you know he's not saying come back to mine with the implication he's just like you know come back to mine get cleaned up and and i'll just leave you alone right. to, to yeah. sort yourself out you know which is what he does you know right um and then she comes out she's all dressed up and she looks quite pretty so yeah, yeah. of course 
Tom Hanks immediately, <laughs> immediately kind of uh, kisses her and starts to the kind of the I don't know I like I like the kind of the slow unzip of the dress to kind of suggest something, um, but then she, you know at that point she kind of it looks like you know we, we're going to get uh, you know some sex, uh, but then she stops and she you know she says she, she can't and he says he understands and yeah she says please don't hate me and, and or don't be angry with me and and he's not because he's a good guy because this is good Tom Hanks. <laughs> yeah so i you know i but I, I the thing is i was you know in terms of everything that's in this film i thought the kind of the the positive way that they show kind of consent and stuff was yeah you know oh yeah no it was for 1985 it was you know 1986 right, kind yeah, of yeah. Gra- groundbreaking really yeah. so the fact that, that they kind of stop and it's consensual and there's no kind of the issue isn't forced um you know and she kind of says oh you know i'll come and see you after uh, after work tomorrow uh but at that point it's you know it's too late because the brother's the brothers and her cousins, I think, show up. Everybody shows up, basically. Yeah, pretty much. Um, and uh, they kind of beat him up and uh, and and you know, drag her kicking and screaming. Yeah, back to back to yeah. The home. Yeah, and I, I mean, I mean, we've already had uh, Nassim constantly talking about how he wants to, you know, marry his cousin, you know, for obvious reasons. And <laughs> now we've got like the family kind of. This is where I don't know. This is where the kind of uh, the the kind of strict nature, the kind of strict religious nature of the family um, is uh, like in full force. You know, the fact that they were kind of willing to break him up and, um, and, you know, kind of beat up David. And yeah, I mean, the thing is as well, like, I, yeah, out of everybody that, she, that Sarah could be interested in, David seems like the, the nicest of guys. So I don't, I don't know why they're so angry, uh, but I guess it's because he's, you know, he's, he's not, uh, you know, he's, he's not got the same kind of, uh, religious background as yeah well, so I mean it's definitely you know. and the, again with Mizrahi's other films they are very much about kind of the world of this this religious world of of these Jews and like what is law and and what is kind of spoken and unspoken law and the fact that yeah. here she is you know theoretically according she never really says to them she didn't do anything uh, she just says that she loves him and that's enough to put mom off um, and yeah. the brothers, I mean, one of them just backhands her and they just, they, like, he's so angry. He's like ripping his own clothes off and everything. It's like, wow, these are, these are scary times yeah. when, when, you know, brothers, um, and family members would just be so hateful toward you just because you loved the wrong person. And it's, uh, I mean, it's sad to know that this stuff happened, that this stuff likely still happens around the world in some parts. It's, uh, but it's just... I don't know. It just it, it's it's very frustrating when I watch this type of movie to see the this sort of mentality because because uh, I just it's it's hard for me to wrap my head around. Yeah, and I think as well there there is also you know that we you know we've established that she's eighteen. Uh, there is also this kind of uh, someone says the phrase that you know um, she's been ruined. Yeah. Right. Uh, so again, there's that kind think, of implication yeah. of like you know virginity and all this kind of stuff, and it's you know. Uh, let's put it like this: If 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 Mizrahi was trying to, I don't know, make this look <laughs> like a like a you know like a, a good situation to be in, or you know like the, kind of to, um, I, I don't know. I don't know if he's trying to make the kind of the religious traditions look bad, or what what I don't know what he's aiming for here. But all it does is just make this family look kind of narrow minded and. Uh, and like you say, that the fact that they're willing to hit her and you know all, yeah. this, all this kind of stuff, it just makes it makes them look bad, basically. And it's it's not you know it's not a good look. I, I and, and um, you know I mean I think that is something that comes from watching these three films is there is an element of him like pushing these realities of this world into the cinematic conversation to show you know yeah. this is the sort of stuff that's happening. It's a little out of date and really shouldn't be happening. Um, but even then, when he does it, I also feel like is there there's something else about it that I am not a fan of the way he does it. Um, but I do th- yeah. I don't think that he's necessarily agreeing with them. I think he's um, certainly trying to push uh, you know the conversation to say you know things may need to change because I mean eventually that's how these things do change is somebody actually does it like you know uh, Peter and Victoria they did get married and yeah and so um, yeah. I well, know. I mean, at this point, Peter is—he's—he's saying to David that you know he's willing to you know to uh, convert to keep Victoria, um, and you know, which if you know Englishmen, there's a certain procedure that that would require, which means you know it is a commitment. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, and so you know he's 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 like 
but then he also talks about just divorcing her and breaking up with her and all this. So, you know, there's a, there's a lot of conversations where he's like, he's ready to get really committed. But then also later on, he says he's going to get an annulment and, you know, just forget the whole thing happened. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, but then, you know, this is where David, he kind of shows up after after Victoria has kind of been, I don't know, kidnapped and took back home. Um, and, you know, the women of the house basically keep trying to say she's not there. And then, you know, he kind of just barges through them because obviously he's, you know, able to do that. No, that and then he's like, oh, she's up, she's upstairs. And, that, and, and, and you know, she, he kind of yells upstairs to her. Right, right. That was actually a scene that I, I actually felt the intensity in that scene worked really well. And, and for me, yeah. um, this was a scene that, uh, I don't know, it just kind of surprised me that he did that, that he kind of pushed his way past these women who were barring him and went in to kind of, you know, yell up the stairs to Sarah. I was like, okay, that, that was, yeah. that was a surprising burst of intensity here that captured me. So that moment I thought was a, a strong, strongly put together bit of film here. I mean, they do kind of force his hand because he says, give, he, he hands a letter and he yeah. says, give this to her. And then they like tear it up. <laughs> and right. then obviously yeah. at that point he's like, he's like, okay, then I'm, I guess I'm going to have to go and deliver the message myself. So he kind of just pushes his way past. But yeah, that was, like in terms of his character, that is it's kind of one of the times where you actually feel that he's kind of committed to this relationship. Yeah. Uh, whereas a lot of the time, it's just a lot of moony eyes between the two of them, and just kind of you know, uh, like as the title of the film, every time they say goodbye, there's a lot of goodbyes in this film. Where <laughs> they're constantly not together, and she doesn't want them to be together, and yet they end up together, and then they say goodbye to each other, and so. Well, it's um, and it's yeah, yeah yeah it's 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 a, I mean he's, it's they're definitely creating a portrait of this world of the Gentiles and the Jews and how difficult it is to kind of have this sort of relationship and as much as she might want the relationship she also doesn't want to uh, I, I think her big thing is she doesn't want to you know hurt her family or, or be separated from her family like Victoria was because that's that's the setup of the Peter Victoria relationship is seeing that yeah. Victoria's family they cut her out of their lives because she went to marry Peter and Sarah doesn't want that. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, you know, after that, you know, obviously the, the reason he was there was to sell Sarah, you know, he's going tomorrow, they're shipping out. Um, and then she, is this, this is where she kind of sneaks out, doesn't she? With yeah. The, she's got the, the one brother who doesn't yeah. think like all the other brothers and he helps her escape down a yeah. <laughs> down a down the road the the all the tied sheets the together sheets. <laughs> right <Yeah. laughs> which i mean you know you see it in cartoons and you just take it for granted but seeing it in real life is kind of such a weird it's such a weird visual yeah um well, yeah. you know and then this unlike before where you know they were on the verge of doing something now they actually do sleep together um and she, you know she she basically again she's like don't don't keep it because he's like oh i'll send you postcards once he's shipped out and she's like don't do that don't yeah, don't stay keep away in touch with me. stay away yeah right because this uh, is where they kinda... consummate it and it's like full-on they it's the deed is done but it's really just to it's almost for her she sees it as the final goodbye <laughs> right yes yeah. <laughs> yeah i mean a pleasant way to say goodbye sure, to someone i would sure. say uh yeah and then you know she leaves the next morning before he's awake um, you know, her mother's not happy and well she goes she leaves, but she goes straight to her uncle and aunt's house to tell Nassim yes. let's get married. Well this is it, yeah. Yeah. She doesn't yeah. even and, go see her know, mom yet, yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, when she does get home, her mom's not happy and she's like, Oh, you know, she'll marry Nassim and I, I, a funny thing as well that the kind of that that's kind of in the film is the character of David is annoyed by the sound of church bells. <laughs> like yeah constantly ringing and so when he he kind of gets awakened by the sound of church bells and finds out that uh that, that sarah has gone uh so i thought that was a nice little detail the fact they built that in earlier where you know like he keeps hearing these bells and he's, he's not particularly happy about it um, and then that is the thing that kind of wakes him up um you know and outside is the is the truck to kind of take him away um and when he talks to peter this is where he says he's going to get an annulment um and you know I, and it's, I don't know, it's like, there's the whole thing where, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously Sarah's now engaged to Nassim and, you know, the planning is beginning for the for the wedding, which obviously she doesn't seem thrilled to be going through with. But, you know, well, and Nassim and, and necessary. But, but at least what I liked about that is that they have yeah. this honest conversation with Nassim where it's like, you know, I don't love you. And he's like, yeah, you know what? I understand. But you know what? That's OK. I'm going to I'm fine with that. I've got enough yeah. love for the two of us. And he seems fine to just have the chance to be with her. So at least 
at least it's not like the big lie or something, you know? Yeah, yeah, there is kind of an acknowledgement of why they're doing it. But at the same time, Sarah's still got a face on her where she's <laughs> she's well, clearly not like... You no, know, as, um, as she tells people, you know, I just feel like I'm drowning. And, and she's just stuck in, yeah. this, in this decision she's made now. Yeah, um, and... Uh, I think uh, David has already shipped out, hasn't he? And he's he's going to get some time off, so he's he's going to make the choice to kind of go back and see Sarah, um, uh, where his his friend is like, um, uh, you know, we should go to the beach. Peter, this is is like we should go to the beach and you know spend a few days there before we get shipped out to wherever they're going, uh, which I'm I'm guessing is probably somewhere in Europe. He said Alexandria and, is the beach that they're going to go to, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, which I'm guessing that's, that's probably a reference, you know, that uh, Mizrahi's put in because obviously he, you know, he he was Egyptian, so yeah, you know, just throwing a reference to to Egypt there. Um, and you know, Sarah's getting married. Um, she's in the dress and everything, and you know, she insists that she doesn't want to see David, but Victoria takes him to the wedding anyway. <laughs> um, uh, he he, he kind of, it's funny because he kind of hitchhikes his way back to uh, to Jerusalem. Um, you know, this truck kind of comes by and he just kind of throws his thing on the back and kind of just like hitchhikes his way there, uh, which I thought was, you know, again, it, like like we say, there's some funny moments. And I thought that was kind of a little funny moment where he's like, you know, just any any truck heading to Jerusalem, he'll just like kind of jump on. Yeah. Um, and, you know, like he I, I, I'm trying to remember the ending because it's all a little bit uh, mixed up in my head. But I think, you know, she she goes to find him and then. um you know he right because she doesn't she victoria because he's hanging out with victoria and and victoria's yeah. now she's the messenger and so she's telling uh, uh she's telling sarah he wants to see you and she's like tell him tell him no he broke his promise tell him i don't want to see him and yeah. um and so she finally because and then she has that conversation with her dad because her dad sees david walking down the street with victoria and so he, he has this conversation with her saying you know i hope you didn't do anything and she's like i didn't i just feel like i'm drowning and and uh so the the dad says well you know i if you do something if you end up with this guy then you know i just know that i will have to um you will be uh, out of my life and and has this conversation and which is funny because the dad has always seemed more the more loving one the mom is the one who instantly goes on the attack when she finds out that she's been with David and says, you're a whore, you know, all this sort of stuff, wants to kick her out of the house. And the dad is like, it's fine, it's fine. But now he's just like, you know, I love you, but you'll have to be um, basically excommunicated from the family. And that's kind of... And, and then she's, yeah. and then she decides, you know what, I am going to go see David. And so she sneaks out and goes to find him over at Victoria's, but he's already gone, so she goes down to the to the bus stop, I guess, to track him down. And that's where, that's where they have their final reunion. Yeah. Um, and you know, they, they obviously kiss and, and he says, don't marry anyone else. Uh, you know, he will return. Um, and then, uh, that's where they go to the airstrip, I think. Yep, exactly. Yep. Yeah. That's and right. then, and then, you know, he gets in the plane and flies off and, and she says uh, she won't, she said she, this is basically yeah, where she says yeah. she's calling off the marriage with Nassim and uh, she says, I will wait for you, even if it's 100 years, you know, I'll always be waiting because he has no idea when he'll be back. But that's basically, yeah, that's the end. And, and so basically she's, it doesn't really resolve. We don't see Nassim again. We don't see her telling her family. It's just after her dad has said this and she thinks about it, I guess what we're meant to assume is in this whole Romeo and Juliet type of love story that she's basically now willing to leave her family in order to... Uh, be happy with David and that's kind of where things are left yeah and then you know the a nightingale sang in in Barclay Square plays over the end credits yeah. as the plane flies off um, and I think as a viewer you're you know you're like it's 1942 he's in the Air Force there's a very strong possibility that he will be dead before the end of the war <laughs> well not according you know. to grandma which he brings up <laughs> yeah yeah well this is yeah so it's i i know i think i i think it's funny because like uh, i think if this film were made today there would be a like three years later or you know like a d we'd get a title card that would say like d-day 1945 and then you know sarah would be like in a cafe and then you know you'd see you know uh, over the shoulder you'd see like a uniform and then you you know you'd see like a, a 
like one of you know the bags that those soldiers carry yeah, when they've been right. demobbed, and he just kind of drops on the floor, and then she sees him. And, you know, that's it, they would resolve it in some way so that you kind of know that after the war they did get together, and you know maybe the the father's in the cafe, and he kind of like nods his approval because even though he's about to excommunicate his daughter, he just wants her to be happy. You know, like there might have been something that kind of finishes it off. Uh, but if you're morbid, you're just like, well, he's got on a plane to go back to, you know, to the war. And uh, millions of people died in that war. And there's a strong possibility that his character probably might be one of them. And so she, you know, even though she's waiting, she, you know, she may never get married. She may yeah, die a spinster. Exactly. Like, right. Yeah. Uh, you know, entirely possible. So there's, it, there's just, yeah. It's an and odd. I think that's. The, yeah. It's an odd, unresolved ending. I, I was. Um, I mean, I'd seen this movie a number of times before, um, because as I've mentioned, you know, as a big Tom Hanks fan, I had the videotape, I had, you know, every movie poster of every Tom Hanks up to this point, uh, I had on my wall, including this, even though this was probably the one I watched the least of all the video cassettes I had. Um, but just, yeah, watching it again, I'm just like, gosh, it's just, it's just really flat. It just leaves things not in a very thrilling way it's just i don't know just not that interesting yeah and it, it kind of just it's just a film that just kind of stops yeah and that and <laughs> you know and the, the, you don't really get it fully resolved um right, right. and uh i don't know if i've got a clear picture of the poster that has the Oh, yes. Now, here's so the, the kind of the tagline that's on the poster is, you know, in a time and a world of impossible love, he would accept nothing less than everything. Oh, yes. I don't think that makes any sense. I don't like if I'd seen that in a lobby, I would have been like, <laughs> I don't want to see this film. It's like Tom Hanks in a uniform with uh, with Sarah kind of sitting, I don't know, in the ether. It's not 100 percent clear exactly. Yeah. You know, it's one of those posters that I bought just because, uh, you know, I had all, all of his posters and it was one of those ones that I just I, I would look at. I'm like, I don't uh, you know, there's not much about it. That's really that worth anything. Not too exciting. Yeah, it's just it, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't seem to cut like it doesn't really it doesn't make you think, oh, yeah, you know, like uh, this is, you know, I, I don't know. It's just it's just one of those films where it's like this isn't really, you know, this is not really a like that poster doesn't really make one to see the film no um and, and you know there's a and i should mention as well this is like another film from 1986 that was released by tristar like yeah i, I don't know what i don't know what's going on with tom hanks but uh between this and nothing in common um it's it, I, and they were they were released so close together as well it's it, it, like i don't know if you were a tom hanks fan in 1986 you were getting in fact, if you were a Tom Hanks fan in the eighties, you were getting like two, three films a year. Like he was, he was knocking them out. Yeah. Well, and I, I saw that he actually. This was like the from what I read, this was actually the first film he signed on to do after Splash. So I'm wondering if it was um, just a chance to do something that was a little more serious, and it just took a little longer yeah. to get made. I don't know, but um, that is Maybe. kind of an interesting yeah, cause thing. In, because in between he did like five other films. Yeah, right. He's very um, busy between the two. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know because there are, there are some actors who kind of talk about that fear of like not working, and you know looking at looking at kind of Tom Hanks and like you know uh, ha like how many films he's put out in certain years. There is a feeling sometimes that it it he seems to have that fear of like not working, so he ends up doing like uh, quite a lot of films. In fact, there's a. Uh, something obviously I'll get more into once I do get to Bonfire Advantage, but apparently after that flopped, he kind of reassessed exactly why he was doing films. And uh, from that point on, he was a lot more selective with, you know, what films he did. And I think that worked out really well because then, you know, there was like 10 or 11 films in a row where like every single one is, a, you know, is generally seen as being a classic. And, you know, I, I think that was because he, he kind of cut down a little bit on how many films he was doing, um, you know, per year. Yeah, um, right, right. You know, and 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 so I've, so you know, obviously he put a bit more kind of uh, quality control into it. Um, yeah. But yeah, so like I said, we finish with a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square, um, which to me has memories of a completely different kind because there was a sitcom that was on Channel Four in the early nineties, uh, starring Robert Lindsay and David Threlfall, called Nightingales, and the title song was sung by Robert Lindsay, uh, and it was a nightingale sang in Berkeley Square, and it's. I don't know. That's that's what I always associate that uh, <laughs> um, that song with. So yeah, so it's really weird hearing it in this film a couple of times, 
Um, and the fact that it's twice that they they sing that song. Right. Uh, like I say, I think that's why that over the end credits, they probably wanted every time we say goodbye, because that would fit with the plane flying off into the distance and then saying goodbye. Like that would make that would make sense to have it at that moment. But the fact that they go for a Nightingale sang in Barclay Square again, it's like, OK, that's a bit of a weird choice to do this a second time. I, you know. Yeah, I, I, I really don't think that they were able to d- get the rights for the actual song. I mean, that is, is the only thing that makes sense to me. Because it's it's an odd yeah. song to have at the end credits. It's like we heard this earlier at the club. Why are we hearing it again at this point? And so it just strikes me as strange. So that's that's I don't know. I guess that's how I'm writing the history of this film in my own head. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I would say in terms of a rating, I feel like anybody listening is gonna know this already. Between uh, T Hanks or no T Hanks, for me personally, I mean it's gonna be rare going through this, but I would say no T Hanks. I mean. I've watched it once today, and I I'm not sure that I will ever watch this film again. Yeah, um, you know, and 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 I will say this though, Christi, Christina Christina Mar- who yeah. played Sarah, she I don't know why she didn't get more work after this because she oh well she was she, she is in Dario Argento's opera the very next year, so and she oh, she actually right. started acting when she was 13, so she actually was a pretty busy actress, and I think that. Um, and because she's from an acting family in Spain, and she ended up, I think now she runs an acting school. Is I think what she's doing. So yes, she she has the Mosaic Acting Academy in Madrid. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I mean, when I say other work, I mean like Hollywood. You know. Like, oh sure, it's sure. Not like, yeah. You know, it's not like she ever. You know, she did a couple of other films. Um, like the last kind of high profile one was uh, Marrakesh Express in 1989. Uh, which was, you know, another kind of uh, Italian film, um, which I think I've seen many, many years ago on TV. Um, but yeah, like I don't know why she, you know, we've had we've had, um, you know, uh, foreign actresses, you know, break big sure. and get yeah. lots of roles and stuff. So I don't know why she didn't. Uh, I don't know why she didn't get more high profile roles. You know, uh, certainly as in terms of uh, you know like rom coms and stuff. You know, the, the, I feels like the. Uh, you know, the kind of late 80s, early 90s is the kind of time where you can get away with being, uh, you know, uh, just beautiful and standing around. And, uh, and you know, that can be your career. Uh, so I'm surprised about that. So, uh, but T. Hanks or no T. Hanks from you? Uh, Again, this is, this is a film I've seen a number of times throughout my life. Um, but after rewatching it, and it, it's never one that was one of my favorites anyway, after rewatching it, I am in the same camp as you. It's no T. Hanks. And I'm like, you know, I'm okay if this was the last time that I see this movie. I'm kind of at that point where yeah. I'm just, I'm done with it. So there it is. Yeah. And I I mean, you know, I, I would say this. I think that, like we say, there's a few kind of comedic moments from Tom Hanks where he does like little bits of business, like the kind yeah. of tap dance at the start. Right, right. Um, and, you know, little tiny things like that where you're like, oh, you know, like, you know tom hanks is in there like you know his his kind of charisma like you know the fun that he that he kind of naturally seems to have at this particular time you know with you know so many other um you know films uh, you know like it's there but it, it's just not really it doesn't feel appropriate for the tone of this movie which is like a you know yeah, a dramatic not at all kind of uh you know kind of I don't know, a kind of a, a it's just, thought it's, experiment about it's just you know, a, Judaism and yeah. the place of Gentiles and it's it, like the very whole, melodramatic. You know, the yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it just it, like it, either he would have had to go, uh, you know, a hundred percent goofy, like kind of always be a bit more kind of quippy and that be his character. And that would have really kind of worked um, or just kind of get rid of it all. Just have him be serious. You know, like yeah. we know, obviously it's, it's so weird because like Philadelphia is only like, eight years after this <laughs> it's, it's, so it's you know he does so much work in between now and then you know like uh, so it's so weird that he goes from being this kind of really kind of comic actor in the 80s to immediately kind of doing you know two oscar winning films back to back and and being so dramatic i would even say like apollo 13 he's you know he's fairly dramatic in that as well you know like, sure um you know so it's amazing that like within the space of like less than a decade he 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 will be able to kind of manage to get this tone thing a bit more yeah and i think maybe it's just the it's it's just the director doesn't really have a grasp on how to use him um you know obviously he got tom hanks to sign on um you know he's an oscar-winning director you know there's a certain level of prestige there where you where where you're you know you're thinking oh well this might be a good combination and then 
they just don't really seem to know how to kind of use him properly. Not at all. Uh, which, Not at all. You know, which is something that I think, you know, I, again, I thought that was kind of true of volunteers as well and nothing in common. Uh, to a lesser extent as well, you know, Man With One Red Shoe. I don't think Tom Hanks is even really the star of Man With One Red Shoe, even though he is the Man With One Red Shoe. There's a couple of like side characters that get more kind of play in that film. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and I think I think between like Splash and Big, there's this kind of weird thing where Tom Hanks is trying to work out what he's doing. Um, and he kind of eventually figures it out. Um, and then he has, you know, Bonfire of the Vanities, and then he rethinks exactly what he's doing. And then, and then from that point on, he seems a lot more assured in, in what he's doing, but you know, it like, it it just feels like he's completely misused. Um, But, you know, I think if people want to kind of, uh, again, the, the so much of this film is just Sarah and David meeting and then deciding not to be together and then breaking up and then meeting again. And, and it just, at a certain point, it starts to get a bit tedious because you're like, okay, you know, we get it. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, and, it's definitely and, and, a slow paced, slower paced film. Yeah, and the thing is, it's not even that long. <laughs> like it's yeah. only like ninety something minutes, right. but it feels a lot longer. Um, so, but you know, uh, I feel like we said about as much as anyone's ever going to say about every time we say goodbye. I think uh, so, so. Probably. Uh, now comes the time for us to say goodbye with some plugs. Is there anything that you wish to plug, Andy? Uh, yeah, I mean, if anyone's interested, check out the Next Real Film podcast. Um, in fact, we will have uh, somewhat recently covered, uh, we will have just done our um, Stephen King a la Frank Darabont series, where we're looking at all of uh, Frank Darabont's adaptations of Stephen King's work, including The Green Mile. So that's one of many Tom Hanks films we've covered in addition to you know, hundreds of other films. So thenextreel.com, you can check out that podcast and, uh, and tune in. Yeah, I mean, The Green Mile is the ultimate Tom Hanks peeing film as well. (laughs) I mean, it's like 70% of that story is Tom Hanks peeing. There's an awful lot, yes. (laughs) Yeah, I feel like Tom Hanks, as The Green Mile came out, like month by month, if you remember, the book book was originally released month by month in these, like, uh, you know, little monthly, small monthly books. I'm sure Tom Hanks was reading that month by month thinking, there's a lot of peeing in this thing. I think if anyone comes calling, I'm saying yes. I'm saying yes to the title role. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna, you know, let's make it a yellow mile, not a green mile. Um, and if you should wish to hear more from me, uh, I'm currently occasionally appearing on uh, Knives Out Minute, which I think will be finishing uh, in a couple of weeks after this episode goes out. Um, or you could listen to me yammer on about Prince for 600-something episodes on Prince Track by Track. Uh, if you wish, you can follow us on Twitter at the extremely awkward uh, T underscore FT memory. So thanks very much for being my guest here today, Andrew. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much. And next time we will unfortunately be stuck in the city of crime. A nightingale sang in Barclay Square. I know because I was there. That night in Boston